Matthew 18. All right, now, I just got a question here as we get started. How many of you remember learning how to drive, okay? Some of you, have, a lot of you have blocked this out of your memory altogether, okay? Because you remember what it was like just kind of learning how to drive, especially kind of like looking over at your parents, you know, and, you know, and they've got fear in their eyes, you know, and they're like, there's, their lips are moving, and that's because they're praying, you know, and they might be clinging on to something, a sidebar on the car. they got their helmet strapped on, and you know what that was like. And, you know, when learning how to drive, it's very difficult because driving is daunting. It's not innate. I mean, you just don't, like, you're just born and you just naturally learn how to drive. There's a lot of unnatural things about driving, and so you're trying to learn the rules of the road, and then all of a sudden, you know, some crazy driver, you know, he's breaking all the rules of the road, almost runs you off, and, I mean, it's just frightening. It's difficult when you're learning how to drive. Well, let me tell you, learning how to drive has a lot of parallels to learning how to forgive. Learning how to forgive, it's not innate. In fact, forgiveness, humans extending forgiveness to one another, it's, um, it's, it's just beyond our human nature. It's unnatural. And It's really interesting when Jesus walked upon this earth and had his ministry about 2000 years ago, he spent a lot of time talking about forgiveness, parables, preaching a sermon, private discourse with his disciples. When he was actually even praying, he was giving lessons on forgiveness. And because Jesus spoke so much about forgiveness, it prompted the question that we looked at last week. And that was the question that Peter asked when you come to Matthew chapter 18, when he says uh, in verse 21, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, got a question. How often shall I forgive my brother? Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, you know, I do not say up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Just like we saw last week, forgiveness For the believer, the follower of Jesus is to be a way of life. We forgive not because we're counting like, I just want to put you on warning. I've had to forgive you 486 times. All right. We're almost hitting the 490 mark. I no longer have to give. No, he wasn't after that at all. He was saying forgiveness is a way of life. And then furthermore, to drive home the point of why we are to forgive, he tells this parable about this completely Wicked servant who blows all this money and can't pay back what he owes to the king. And this provincial governor learns this amazing lesson on grace. Remember where the master, this great king, he forgives him of everything. And you would think that that kind of forgiveness would permeate his life. Let me tell you, if you have been forgiven much by God himself, he intends that you will internalize his forgiveness that you will become like him. And if there was any question, if that wasn't what Jesus was driving at, well, remember the, the unforgiving servant, he found somebody that owed him just a little bit of money, starts choking him, throws him into prison. It all looks bad. Fellow slaves are like coming to the master and saying, there is something wrong with this guy. And in verse 32 in chapter 18, we had a little talk. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also forgive, have mercy on your fellow slave? And in the same way that I had mercy on you, you, I want you to look like me. I want you to forgive like me. And because you have not learned that lesson, I'm going to discipline you. Verse 34. And then verse 35, the whole point, the driving point of the parable. My heavenly father, verse 35, will not 
will also do the same to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, you see, Jesus is driving at he wants us to forgive from the heart. What does that really look like? What does that really look like when we've been tremendously wronged, hurt, damaged, physically inflicted with some sort of blow that we're going to carry for the rest of our life? emotionally scarred, psychologically perhaps unraveled because of individuals or a particular person. You know, we see scenes like this on a regular basis in our life. Remember on October 2nd, 2006, a guy by the name of Charles Roberts walks into an Amish schoolhouse. He dismisses all but ten of the girls, and then he systematically starts shooting them. Five of those girls die, five live. And in that community, that Amish community that's just breaking apart in grief, do you know how they responded? They responded with forgiveness. They immediately went to the shooter's widow and extended forgiveness and grace and sought to comfort her in her grief while they themselves were grieving the loss of their own children. Now, how in the world does someone forgive like that? I tell you this and you're like, whoa. I'm not sure I could do that. And, you know, every time we talk about forgiveness, man, there are people that you're probably sitting next to right now inside. They are turning. Their stomach right now is developing knots. There's perspiration starting to already start to beat up. There's a sense of guilt and even a feeling of sickness because when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about a core issue because you are sitting next to and perhaps it is you yourself who've been injured by a mate or a sibling, your present spouse, a former friend, an employer. And this is a completely difficult subject. I'll tell you, forgiveness is essential if we're to experience the freedom that Christ desires for us. Uh, years ago, in about 2005, how many of you have heard of Cynthia Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll's wife? She went public about her long journey through depression and how she came out of it. It was staggering. I I wouldn't have believed it myself had I not heard it on the radio. I was actually painting one of my kids' bathrooms. I just had to stop. And I'm listening to the story of this woman who had just a terrible childhood, really a terrible dad. She spoke of her dad. Her dad actually literally tried to choke her mother to death. And when her mom passed out, he released her. She said, I had to forgive him of that. When... When her mom had cancer and was going to die, her dad chose that to be the time when he asked for the divorce. She had to forgive him of that. She said that her dad had a terrible temper and used to beat her and her sister. Just tore them up. She said, I had to forgive him of that. Her emergence from depression, the key factor, was forgiveness. How is it possible to forgive from the heart? I want you to know that, me personally, I've had to forgive at a deep level. I know this is hard. All of us, all of us have been hurt. How are we to forgive from the heart, like Jesus says in verse 35? Well, let me tell you, first of all, it begins with knowing. You have to know what forgiveness is and why it's important. Jesus said, I want you to forgive from the heart. Well, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing an individual. Forgiveness is the loving, voluntary cancellation of a debt. Forgiveness 
is when you forgive one another or forgive another person, what it does, it removes any obstacle to a loving, healthy, wholesome, growing relationship. You literally release. And you and I are hardwired for relationship. And when we violate one another, when we sin against one another, when we hurt each other, forgiveness is God's glue to bring healing to broken hearts and to broken relationships. And so we forgive. You know, those the Amish people that were forgiving, well, a professor that studies them, he teaches in a nearby college, he says forgiveness is an essential core value for the Amish people. They believe that to follow Jesus is to forgive. And so when forgiveness was needed, how did they, why did they respond that way? Because that's how they understand their identity in Christ. We've been forgiven of all things. We must forgive. And let me tell you, forgiveness is the hallmark of every significant relationship. You see a good marriage? Let me tell you, these people have learned to forgive. You see marriages that are kind of functioning like cold war zones. They're kind of keeping together with the kids, but they don't really talk to each other. There's really no connection. This is a couple that has missed the essential importance of forgiveness. Just by the way, if you are single and you're thinking about marrying some individual, if they cannot forgive you of past transgressions or of present offenses, let me tell you, I would not marry them. You need to keep moving on. Because if they can't forgive you now, you get yourself tied up in a legal binding relationship before God and his people, man, you are in for a world of hurt. So, you know, in Hollywood, they say love, their idea of love story is love means that you never have to say that you're sorry, right? Actually, when you love someone, you do have to say you're sorry and accept and receive forgiveness. You know, and sometimes when people have hurt us really bad, we don't want to forgive them, right? We don't want forgiveness. We want vengeance. We want justice, right? Hey, listen. Leave that with God. God is the one who's going to take care of all those issues. Remember, he's always a part of the equation. He is the equation. And if there is vengeance to be taken, God will exact it. He might work through a legal system, court system. He might bring about vengeance and justice in this life, but most certainly in the life to come. Because just like you're one of his children, he's going to be working the hearts of others. Just give it to him. Now, why is forgiveness so important? Because if you and I are ever going to forgive from the heart, we've got to know not only what it is, but why it's important. And I'll tell you that forgiveness, first of all, it reflects God's character. Just like that was the whole driving thrust of the parable. The servant is to look like the king. I want you to forgive everything. So God desires that you and I reflect his character. You know what Jesus was saying when they, after they nailed him on the cross? He actually said it repetitively. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Were they asking for forgiveness? No. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness not only allows us to reflect God's character, but you know what else it does? It releases us. When we don't forgive, we just get all contorted. It's like our soul gets twisted. When we don't forgive, it's like picking up a rock with sharp, pointy parts to it, and you actually just start squeezing it because you are so mad and so frustrated and you're so hurt. You start squeezing that rock, and and what happens is the more you squeeze, the harder it hurts who? You. And you keep doing this for a day 
or a week, and your hand's going to seize up, if not your whole side of your body. That's what a lack of forgiveness does. But when we forgive from the heart, when we release, forgiveness becomes a reality. It releases us physically, emotionally, spiritually. But let me tell you something else. Forgiveness reaps great blessing. Tremendous blessing to you who forgive and to the person who needs to be forgiven. For us, when we forgive, that's when healing starts. You must forgive. Healing starts when we truly, from the grace of God, forgive the people that have hurt us. And I'll tell you, when we forgive like this, friends, it moves us to Christ-like maturity. We begin to look a lot like Jesus when we forgive like Jesus. But let me also tell you, for the person that needs forgiveness, and who of us in here doesn't need forgiveness at some point, man, it's like balm to the soul. It is so liberating if they're able to accept it. It allows the person to experience grace. Ernest Hemingway, he wrote a lot of stories, wrote a lot of short stories. One particular story he wrote of a father and son. And this teenage son was rather rebellious, and he just so mad at his dad, he thought he'd just take off and did. And so the father was searching all over in a last-ditch attempt to try to find his son. He's in Madrid, Spain. He writes in the newspaper this little blurb, and he writes, Paco, dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. So the next day, noon. There's dad in front of the, the place where they're writing all the newspapers there, standing at the newspaper office, and there wasn't one Paco that showed up. There was 800. See, there were 800 young men looking for the love of a father, looking for his forgiveness. Friends, forgiveness reaps great blessing. God, it must be so glorified when we forgive. These are my children in action, my spirit working in them. Friends, if we're going to forgive from the heart, we have to be, first of all, we've got to be knowing what forgiveness is, why it's important. But second, we've got to be owning it. Forgiveness from the heart is made possible when we believe that we're united with Christ and we are empowered by his presence. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Uh, just keep moving your way in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3 is one of the significant chapters in the Bible about how to live the Christian life. This chapter that you're coming to, when I was a new believer in college, this chapter was life to me. I memorized it. I needed this because this helped me to understand my identity in Christ and how Christ was seeking to live through me. And so when you turn to Colossians chapter 3, like verse 3, listen to this. For it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What he's saying there, Christ has died for us. He is our substitution. He's died in our place. But he's also saying he is our identification. It's just not Grant anymore. It is Grant now who's united with Christ. Our identification is that we're united with him. And when Christ died for us, you know what he did? He bore the penalty for our sin. He dies in our place. But at the same time, he actually allows us to experience his power. He breaks the power of sin because we're united with Christ. We don't have to stay on that same road of here's the temptation. I fall into it. Sin, death. Now I have the ability to walk away. I have the power of Christ to say, no, there's something in me that's driven and wants that sin. But there's the power of Christ in his presence in my life that 
I don't have to live that anymore. In fact, I've got a greater joy than a temporal pleasure of sin. I've got the joy of walking with Christ, and we can walk away. That is victory in Jesus. And they write hymns about things like that. That's how God wants us to live. Well, he says, you've died. You're, your life, you've died. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does that look like? Well, that's what Colossians 3 is all about. But I want to drive your, draw your attention to verse 12. He says, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you see that? You've been chosen by God. God has elected you for his experience and his purpose. He wants you to experience the fullness of God. You don't empty yourself. You bring all of yourself, all of your needs, good, bad, and different. You bring them to God. He has chosen us, and he is what? Notice what he calls us. Holy and beloved, we're set apart to him, and he dearly loves you. Don't just think that God just functions on a legal plane. It's just about justification, and he doesn't have any feelings for you. There's not any emotive aspect. Actually, he's, God is extremely relational. He's highly personable. He wants you to know him personally, his love, his joy that he has in you, his smile, the peace, and the wonders of his presence. That's why he says, you're holy and beloved. And then because of our identity in Christ and his presence in our life, we can be compassionate, kind, we can have humility, gentleness, patience. This comes from God. You don't manufacture this. But I want you to see verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. You see that verse 13? Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Not selective, not just a few. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I got this underline in my Bible because I know this is God's will for my life, that I become a forgiving, gracious person. Let me ask you, is there anything that Christ really hasn't forgiven you of? Seriously? Anything? Oh, that one night, oh, man, or to my kid or my ex-spouse. Did Jesus not forgive you of that? Absolutely. How does God, how does God see forgiveness? What does forgiveness look like from God's perspective? Let me give you two verses. You might write these down. Hebrews 8:12. He says, "For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more." He says basically the same thing in Hebrews 10:17, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You see, God chooses never to see us in our sin, but always in his son. God always sees us who believe in Christ as united with his son. He isn't like, "Oh, this miserable wretch, this guy that I, or this gal." No, he sees us united with Christ. He loves you. And we know that God is omniscient. He knows all things, right? He knows all about our sin, right? So how does that work? Well, let me just tell you the reality of the gospel. God chooses not to remember. I will remember their sins no more. I will not recollect them, though he fully has the ability to do so, because why? He has united us with Christ. We are chosen, we're holy, we're beloved. And that's how God forgives. And if, friends, this is so critical. If you miss anything, you can miss anything, but don't miss this. If you and I are to experience 
and to express forgiveness, we must believe. We must take God at his word and realize he remembers our sins no more. We are forgiven. Like one guy told me this morning, I am free. Free indeed. Why? Because Jesus has paid it all and he's united us with him. So friends, if we're going to, if we're going to forgive from the heart, we have to know what forgiveness is, why it's important. We have to own it. We must believe. It must be a conviction, a belief, a value of ours. But it can't stop there. Because if it does, you're just a well-educated individual who is not going to express forgiveness. We've got to know it. We've got to own it. But finally, we have to do it. There has to be a doing. Forgiveness from the heart is a reality when we actually release those who have hurt us through our faith in Christ. It's like C.S. Lewis said, you know, we all agree that forgiveness is a wonderful, beautiful idea until we have to practice it, right? This is great to talk about forgiveness. God wants us, though, to forgive. It's not a natural act. It's a supernatural act. Now, you're going, I can't. Man, I've heard some bad stuff that have happened to people in our church. Horrendous stuff. How, how could they possibly do it? I just want you to know. You can't in and of yourself. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. In Luke chapter 17, verse 4, uh, Jesus made this statement. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. Okay, I got it. Do you know what the very next sentence says where the apostles heard this? They said to the Lord, increase our faith. We would expect they'd say increase our love because we have a greater capacity of love. We'll be able to forgive. And love is certainly important to forgiveness. However, forgiveness is a faith issue. It is believing and trusting God. It is not acting on your feelings. It is acting on your faith. And so God never calls us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. And he never asks us to do anything apart from his son because forgiveness is an aspect of our faith in Christ. You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. And you and I were going to have to ask for forgiveness. So let me just tell you what this looks like. We at all at times are going to need to have forgiveness. We're going to have conflict. It's going to arise. Let me just tell you, what do you do? Now, I'm, I am going to just tell you what this looks like in my life. Okay. So for instance, like in my marriage with Karina, guess what? I have to ask forgiveness a lot. Okay, Karina is pretty sanctified. I'm still in process, you know. And so like last week, how about that? Perfect. I've really been studying forgiveness. I have a perfect opportunity to put it into practice. So I, I had to go and ask my wife for forgiveness. And let me just tell you what it looks like. So you, I said, by the way, this is just normal family living. You have to do these things. So I said, hey, I was, I was admitted that I was wrong. And I said, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have. And I'm not going to go into great detail for your entertainment of what I did. All right. Okay, but you just just imagine. All right. And then I I said, you know what? I'm sorry that I did this. I know that must have hurt you. You've got to be willing to say, I am sorry. It's not like this. I'm sorry. Okay. Just kind of flippantly. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, 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 no. That's the wrong heart. I am sorry. You do this. I'm sorry. You're just making a bigger, bigger problem. Okay. So what you do is I'm sorry, and you say specifically what you're sorry for, and then you say you repent. Say, man, I'm I'm sure that made you feel bad or feel insignificant or whatever it was, and I don't intend to hurt you like that again. 
And then what you do is you ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me for specifically? And you state it. Okay. Now, the other party then has an opportunity to respond. And this is super important. If someone is asking you forgiveness like that, don't go like, yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter. No, you do it specifically. You say, I forgive you for it. And then you say what you forgive them. And then you do it graciously. You know, I've done some things like that before. And then you forgive as God forgives. You choose not to remember it. You know, for all of our married life, my wife and I have practiced this. This is how we do it. After there's the forgiveness and my wife has forgiven me, we always do this. We always kiss and we always hug and we drop it. Now, I, I could try to remember all the different things that I've been forgiven of or I've forgiven her of. But you know what? There's, it's just like this beautiful pattern in our life where God allows us just to leave it. And frankly, I can't remember, nor do I want to. I want to be like the Lord and choose not to remember. Now, even if they won't forgive you, now this never happens with my wife, but there's going to be people in your life that may not want to forgive you. You just go ahead and you just forgive. If they, they're not, they don't want to be forgiven or they're, they don't care, don't try to isolate. Don't try to ignore the sin. Don't internalize and make more pain for yourself. Don't try to inflict some pain on them. No, you just leave it with the Lord. Now, what happens, though, if they will not repent? What happens, man? They're not broken about it. They're fine with all the damage they've created. They don't seem to be repentant. What do you do? Just go ahead and forgive them. Just do it. Let me give you a real good verse on that. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says this. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. Forgive just as I have forgiven you. Forgive. Just do it. I will give you the spirit. I will enable you to do this. You know, American audiences got a real firsthand look of what this looks like in 2006 on American Idol of all things. Okay, you remember there was a situation there where they had a particular woman, Mandisa Hunley. She's a gospel singer. And one of the judges, Simon, of all things, he made this statement about, you know, he made this sarcastic remark about the fact that Mandisa being more of a heavy set lady. He said this. Do we have a bigger stage this year? He says it publicly on TV. What do you think it did to Mendisa? What do you think it did to that young lady? Tore her up. Well, then the next time they come to find out if they're going to move on, well, Mendisa comes on the stage and then she makes this statement. She says this. You know, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you, but this is what I want to say. Yes, you hurt me and I cried and it was painful. It really was. But I want you to know that I've forgiven you and that you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. And I figured that if Jesus could die so that all my wrongs could be forgiven, I can certainly extend that same grace to you. I just wanted you to know that. Randy said, Amen. And Simon walked up there and said, I am sorry. Friends, that is what we are called to do. Forgive as we have been forgiven. You know, there's a high cost of unforgiveness. There's a, a, a woman that um, Linda Hunter writes about of a woman who was going through a divorce and her husband just was tearing her up and it was killing her. She just felt like she was tethered to the stake in the ground and it was just ripping her soul apart. She felt like she just was ripping her kids apart. And she realized that until she came to a place where she would forgive her husband and it was an ongoing process, this was going to tear her apart. 
And so what we do, friends, is we've got to extend forgiveness, giving our hurt to God, giving acknowledgement that you have forgiven the one who has sinned against you and give it no further thought. Do not try to recall. Just keep coming back, but I remember that I have forgiven. You know, some people say, well, I can forgive, but I sure won't forget. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking to forgive as Jesus did. Clara Barton, who's the founder of the American Red Cross, she was reminded by a friend of a particular evil that another person had done to Clara. And she goes, don't you remember what that individual did to you? And this is her answer. She said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Friends, that's what we need to do. Now, forgiveness isn't just oftentimes an instantaneous deal. A lot of times it is, but when we've been hurt significantly, sometimes it, it's a deep issue that we're going to have to, to require a serious heart work. For instance, when you've been in a relationship with someone that's just damaged you so bad and hurt you on an ongoing basis, you are not going to be able to figure out, even if you try to, all the many different ways you've been hurt. Furthermore, time has a way of kind of warping things where you really focus on the hurts and you forget about the things that you did that contribute to that. What do you do? Well, I'll just tell you from firsthand experience. Forgive in a general, just a blanket forgiveness. I forgive you and I release you. I, I'm not going to parse it all out and figure out what you did this. And I, no. I just want you to know I forgive you and I am free. Friends, you can move forward. Ronald Reagan, after he was shot by John Hinckley, he told his daughter, Patty Davis, that he absolutely knew that he must forgive John Hinckley and it was essential for his recovery. And Patty Davis said when she heard that and saw that in her father, that gave her an example of Christ-like forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean when you forgive someone that you're like going to just put yourself or your children in danger, okay? These per- people are dangerous. They're doing things that are harmful. It doesn't mean like, oh, okay, we've forgiven and we're just going to be completely restored so you can go and tear us up again, okay? You still exercise discernment. God doesn't want you to check your mind out. I'm like, well, no, but we come with a heart of grace and forgiveness. Our motto is not remember the Alamo. Our motto is remember the Savior. And when you forgive, it's not like you, you bury the hatchet with the handle sticking out of the ground so you can grab it anytime it's convenient. You just leave it with the Lord. You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. Today, you and I, we've got to forgive. There are some of you, as I'm talking about this, God is speaking directly at your heart. He's saying, come, my child, let, let me take this hurt and this wound from you. And I want you to experience the peace and the love of my forgiveness. I don't want you to be some bitter, contorted, older lady or mad old man someday, like a sour grape. I want you to be a demonstration and display of my love and grace. Let's forgive. I'll help you. We'll do it together. But let us forgive. And friends, this is the vision for our church. That as we're deeply rooted in Christ, we are bearing the fruit of forgiveness. And I can tell you that there are people in our church that have been hurt deeply. And with tears in their eyes and tenderness in their heart, they have forgiven, they have restored, and they are moving forward to the glory of God. And that's what God intends with forgiveness. You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. Some of you are familiar with a woman by the name of Shannon Etheridge. 
When she was 16 years old and she's driving to school on a country road, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but she ends up uh, running over an older lady by the name of Marjorie Jarsfar, who was riding her bike on the side of the road, ran her over, and this woman died of her injuries. Shannon was so beside herself. She contemplated suicide and would have taken her life, except for one individual, a man by the name of Gary. Gary happened to be Marjorie Jarsfar's husband. Gary insisted that the charges brought against Shannon were all dropped. And Gary came alongside her and said, I forgive you and you must continue on. In fact, he said, I want you to carry on my godly wife's legacy. I am with you and I forgive you and I release you and I want you to carry on. And so this woman, Shannon, has done just that. In fact, some of you may be familiar with some of her books. She's a best-selling author. Every Girl's Battle, Every Woman's Battle. You know who wrote that? The Woman Who Was Forgiven by Gary. And she has another book that was recently put out called Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And the book is all about helping women overcome a guilt-ridden, wounded life. Friends, we're coming to the cross today, and we're coming to Jesus. And he wants us to forgive, to forgive As he has to forgive from the heart. How do you move from death to life? We forgive. So, friends, where do you need to extend forgiveness today? Let's, as an act of grace dependent upon Christ himself, let us do it. And we're going to come into a time of communion, a time of communion and union of remembering Jesus Let us take our hurt and our sorrow to him and let us find the strength to forgive. Let us pray. Lord, once again, we sense that you've met us here. This is a holy moment. Souls being wrestled with. There's a desire to not forgive, to seek revenge, and yet you've beckoned us with your word and you have called us with your spirit to simply forgive. And so, Father, I pray that if there's someone here who does not know the grace and forgiveness of Christ, they'd right now and just pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from my sin and I believe that you've forgiven me and you recall them no more because you've united me with Christ. Fill my life with your presence. And, Father, for those of us who need to forgive, would you give us the grace to do so? Give us the courage and the strength that Jesus might be magnified in our midst. We ask this, Lord for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.